retreat up at Cran Hill Ranch, and they'll be coming back later on this afternoon, and I heard that they've been having just a fabulous time, and God's really been working in their midst, so we're, we're grateful for that. So thank you, guys, for holding down the fort this morning and uh, leading us uh, in worship. Uh, one thing that I want to bring to your attention uh, that would be great for you to do today is to sign up for our 5K walk, run, crawl, however you want to do it event that we have coming up for Mission India. We are trying to raise money as Mission India brings the gospel to those who haven't heard about Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. And one of the ways that we do that is through this run where we each uh, contribute to, to sign up to do this, maybe get some other sponsors, and we do the hike or run or crawl on that day, and uh, we get to see the gospel advance because of this. So make sure that you, uh, after the service, head in the back, and where all the little light bulbs are, uh, put your name there and make sure you sign up for that as well. Our Bible reading today is found in Revelation chapter 4. So if you can find Revelation chapter 4. Our focus... Uh, as it has been through the last several weeks, has been on hope and the hope that we as Christians uh, have together. And this morning, uh, the particular dimension of hope that we're looking at is hope in a troubled world. Hope in a troubled world. I mean, there really is no doubt, I don't think, that we live in a, in a troubled world, particularly if you're coming at it from a Christian standpoint. All you have to do is look at through your news feeds or you go across some of the news channels and we see all kinds of stories. We see the assault on life. We see uh, the gender revolution going on. We see conflict between races and between political parties. Uh, we see wars. We see other famines happening in other countries. We just see a host of ways that it seems like our world is in trouble. And so how do we find hope into this troubled world? I think that was a question that God's people also were asking at the time where our Bible reading uh, is taking place. Uh, this is John's revelation that God has given to him. And you will see that in uh, Revelation chapter 4, that the first words that we read are after this. Well, what is the after, what just happened that John is saying, now it's after this? And that was the revelation that he gave in the first three chapters. In the first three chapters, God gave him a revelation to the seven churches in Asia, right there. And so to these seven churches that are uh, scattered around, John wrote a letter, he said, this is what God has revealed to me, and here's what I want to say to you. And as a part of that letter, he pointed out, John said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trials. You're going to have hardships. You're going to face a troubled world. And so John experiences now this revelation with a new word from God to give them to help them deal with trouble in this world. And so to John's original audience who was dealing with trouble in the world and to us today who are dealing with trouble in this world, let's hear what our God is revealing to us today in Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Spirit, that as we study the Scriptures and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have for us today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As God delivers hope to his people living in a troubled world, the first thing that we see is that John is invited to go through a door. There was a door standing open to heaven, he says in verse, verse 1. And he's invited, says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this trial and troubles and, and persecution that you're going to face. There is a door that John is invited to to go into the very realms of heaven. Now maybe when we first read this, we think, well, where is this door, right? Because Well, I'd love to be able to find that door. <laughs> and I think, well, we look and we go, well, maybe it's way up in the sky, right? Heaven's way up in the sky, so we look around at all those little stars and lights and we go, well, maybe one of those is the door. You know, there's a door that leads there. And we can think that there is a chasm between earth and heaven and if we just someday we're going to leave this earth and we're going to be able to go through a door and then we're going to go up into heaven but in biblical theology that's not the case in biblical theology heaven and earth are intertwined now i know sometimes this is hard for us to think of these two things existing and being sort of in the same place at the same time because we observe with our eyes, we see what's material, we see what's physical, we see what just is right before us, and, and that's where, we're, where, where our eyes are focused at. But we have to think differently about the things of God and about the spiritual realm, because in biblical theology, these two are intertwined. Think back to 2 Kings 6, where Elijah, remember 2 Kings 6, Elijah gets a view 
going on. He hears the rustling over the trees, and right over the earth, there's a battle going on between the armies fighting one another. Think of Ephesians 6, for your battle is not against the things on earth, but against the spiritual forces that are work, at work in this dark world. And so these things are intertwined, and I believe in biblical theology that the door that John opens is not off in some distant place bridging some sort of gulf, but I believe the door that John opens is kind of like right here. That there is another spiritual realm, the spiritual of the heavenly beings, where God is at work, at the same time intertwined with what's going on here at earth, and John opens this door. And it made me think a little bit of like the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy lands in Oz, and we have the whole sepia tone thing going on, you know, she's here, and then she opens this door, and bam, there's a whole new world, a whole new dimension of things that she, that, that it's in color, and she can see this, and I think that's a, a, a not, we don't want to push that analogy too far, but I want to think about that, that John is invited to open this door, here's the world, here's what's going on, there's these trials, there's these persecutions, there's troubles, open this door now, John, while all of this is going on, I want to show you what also is going on in the heavenly realm. And here it is. And as John steps through that door, the very first thing he sees, it tells us in verse 2, there before me was a throne in heaven. A throne. Throne is a key word in the book of Revelation. In this chapter, it's mentioned 14 times in the whole book of Revelation it's mentioned 46 times why because what does a throne signify a throne signifies judging and power and authority and rule whoever sits on the throne is in control some may uh, in our day be familiar with this from the uh, the series, the recent series that was out called Game of Thrones. I did not watch the series, nor am I endorsing the series, so do not take that away. But in the Game of Thrones, we have the noble families who are all competing to sit on the Iron Throne. Why? Because the family that sits on the Iron Throne, they're in charge. They rule. They have all the power. And so as John peeks through this door and he sees this throne, he sees God who is on the throne. There's God on the throne. And God is in a brilliance of light, the rubies, the jaspers, the rainbow, the light is just shining. And because that's who God is, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 104.2 that God is robed in light. And Paul, when he's talking in second, or 1 Timothy 6.16 says God is unapproachable light. And so when we look at the troubled world, I got this world that's going on me and I get to peek through this door and I look, who's on the throne? God. God is in control. And not only does he see a throne, we look at verse 5, it says from the throne so not only to have the throne god sitting on it came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder that always represents god's power his authority his judgment god is always 
depicted as coming in light because it's purity and it's righteousness and it's holiness but alongside that because in him there is no darkness at all there always is this other side where there is judgment we like don't we we like we like the light we like the rainbows but we don't like to think about the judgment but that is how God is on the throne that he is coming also in judgment and we need to recognize that that's an aspect of God and I think this is incredibly good news for God's people because in this world that has troubles and we see it in the Old Testament and maybe we do this in our day as well God's people were always like this is not fair God why are you punishing us your people we're yeah maybe we messed up a little bit maybe we sinned and God's like you're right you did so for that you're going into exile in Babylon for that the Assyrians are taking you for that you're going to be punished yeah but God how can you use these people who are more wicked than us to punish us how can that be God and he's like don't worry about them I will take care of them don't worry about the evil around you I will judge it don't worry about those who you see is wicked I will take care of it says God in Hosea 4 God says, I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. That's his promise. And we see that, God sitting on the throne in judgment. Romans 14 tells us that each one of us will have to give an account of himself to God. Jesus said this in in Matthew 25, that there's going to be a day where we come before the very throne of God, who's going to be there in judgment, and God's going to say he's going to divide us into the sheep and into the goats. And one is heading off into eternal life, and the other is heading into a life far from God and dealing with hell. There will be judgment. And that brings us hope. In this world that we see spinning out of control, when we see evil prevailing, when we see wickedness prevailing, we know at the end of the day, when I open this door, what's going to happen to that evil? Is it going to overtake the good? Is it going to overtake the light? Is it going to overtake the kingdom of God? No. God is going to judge it, and it will be judged accordingly to his standards. And not only do we see a God who is there on the throne and, and God who is, being, uh, who is judging the people, we see there in verse 6, it says, also in front of the throne. So we had on the throne, we had above the throne, and now we get in front of the throne, there, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal this is significant because to the ancient people and in Jewish thinking the water and the seas are chaos water and seas are chaos from the water and from the seas is where sin comes from the depths of that sea we don't know what's down there it's a mystery and we find out later on in Revelation That's where the beast is going to raise up from, from the depths of that sea. And so the things like the wind and the waves and and all the, the stirring of the water, that for them was evil. It was chaos. It was sin. It was darkness. You state, but what do we see here? This sea now is under the feet of God. And what is this sea? Under the rule of God, 
Where is sin? Where is evil? It's all held down under the very feet of God and under control. God wins. God rules. Evil is not present where God is at. And we see this under the throne. And not only that, I want you to, there's other things we can unpack here, but I want you to see one more thing, and that is before the throne, uh, surrounding the throne in verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now there's some discussion amongst theologians and commentators on what the 24 elders stood for, but it usually falls into two camps like this and get, brings us to the same conclusion. One is that they believe that it represents the 24 Old Testament priests. The priests who came to serve the temple were arranged in an order, there were 24 of them and they were arranged accordingly to serve in the temple. It represents the priests. The other thinking is that maybe this 24 represents the 12 Old Testament tribes and the 12 apostles, the fullness of God's people. Either way, both of those point to the idea of the royal priesthood. Remember Peter called God's people that? You are a royal priesthood. And this is the image right there of the royal priesthood, of the church of God. We are the church. We just sang that, right? Which the powers of Hades will not prevail against because where is the church? They are seated on a throne, victorious, God's people, the church, God's children are victorious. We may feel like the world is pressing in on us, we may feel like the world is defeating us, we may feel like the church is irrelevant and shrinking away, but at the end of the day, I open this door, what do I see with the church and all those who follow God? We're sitting on the throne. We're wearing the Stephanos in Greek, which is the crown, the victor's crown. And we're dressed in purity and white because we win at the end of the day. Do you see this revelation that John is giving here? Because what it says to me when I feel like I, there's no hope in this world, and I just went through the, those who walk closest with me know this, that I was just really despairing over a number of weeks because everywhere I looked, it just seemed like I was on the wrong side. It just seemed like the world was so happy to go the way of the enemy and just embrace sin and just embrace everything that is the antithesis to God. And like, what is going on? And God put this passage before me. And out of this passage, I look at it with God on the throne, God who's judging evil, God who's holding the evil under his, his feet, and the church is sitting on the throne. It says to me that in this world without hope, this, this world that, that's troubled, I'm going on forward because we win, because we have the victory. And friends, that gives me a, a ton of hope because hope, remember we talked about that definition? Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is placing our trust and confidence in something that we know to be true. And here God gave John a vision and preserved it through all these years to speak to us, his church. And what I know to be true, when I open this door, look at that. God's on the throne. Evil is defeated and the church is in victory. I know that to be true. 
And so that's what I'm placing my faith and I'm placing my hope in. Because I know that that's, that's the future. And so as I go through life, living as a person of hope, this makes me a, a person who really wants to pray. Right? To be a person who prays. Because I know the one who is in control. I know the one who holds everything in the very palm of his hand and sitting on the throne. It is God. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch in this world that God is not in control of. Not one square inch. We call that sovereignty. God reigns over everything. And so when I face troubles, when I face discouragement, when I see evil moving in and, and I feel like I can't do anything, that's a lie. And maybe the enemy's going to plant that in my head. That's a lie because we know the one who has won victory over those things, and it is God. And God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God can do something about anything in this world. And I may not always see it, but I know that he's on the throne. I know that he is working, as, as Romans tells us, God works everything according to the good of his purposes. I may not see it, I may not understand it, and I'm okay with that, because I want a God that I can't figure out. I want a God whose mind is bigger than my mind, a God whose ways are bigger than my ways, a God who continues to move things forward according to his kingdom purposes. And I'm going to pray to him that whatever situation I'm in, that he would rule, that he would work in. I got so tired of people saying, don't just say, oh, I'll give you my thoughts and prayers. Do something. Well, you know what? My praying to God can do a lot more than protests and laws here on this world, in this earth. So I want to ask you, when, when you look at this troubled world, do you, do you just throw your hands up and say, oh, I can't do anything? Or do you fall on your knees and turn to the one who can do something, the one who is in charge, and God invites us to bring those things before him? This hope from this revelation makes me a person of prayer but a close second on this which follows from the prayer is that it makes me a person of peace right a person of peace because i just turned it all over to god right i just turned it all over to god and i know that god is going to handle it that god is going to deal with it that i don't need to take it on i've seen behind the door i'm going to be victorious God's going to sit on the throne. God's going to judge all this stuff going on in the world. And so I can navigate in peace. And even though the rest of the world seems to be going in chaos and seems to be in trouble, because I, I look through this door, I can have what the Bible calls the peace which passes all understanding. People say, well, how can you have so much peace? Well, you know what? Look through this door. God's on the throne evil is defeated i win the victory with the church that's why i can have peace and there's nothing that this world can throw at me nothing that god is not in charge of and i can have the peace i mean it's it's like when again it's a weak all these are weak examples because we're talking about the almighty god but my spirit it's like when i'm facing at home a major plumbing problem you know, the, the drain is, over, is clogged up, the water is overflowing, and things are just, 
And so I reach out and I call the plumber and the plumber shows up. And at that moment, I let it go. Because I know they're going to fix it. He's the guy who can fix it. He's the one who he, he has the knowledge, he has the ability, he has the capabilities. I'm just stepping back and letting him do his thing. And in a way, that's what happens with God. We turn it over to him. We live into what Jesus says. Didn't Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. I'll take your yoke. I'll carry it for you. I'll take your problems. I'll take your troubles. I'll take your hardships. I will carry them for you. And in exchange, I will give you rest. And I think maybe we need to take Jesus up on that offer. Are you restless? Are you anxious? Are you struggling with what's going on in this world today? Tell you what, peek behind the door and let the peace come into your life. And not only does this passage allow me to, to, to pray and be uh, a person of peace, but I think it also allows me to be a person of passion. And when I say passion, I mean sold out in living for the kingdom of God. Sold out and living for the kingdom of God. That's my passion. Because I stand here in this world of trouble. And I see what's going on. And I know over here, the kingdom of God prevails. That the kingdom of God wins. That God sits on the throne. That he is the one who is in control. And if I have a choice of what I'm going to serve, it's certainly not going to be the world. It's going to be the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do exactly what Jesus asked us to do. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's what prevails. Why? Because that's what gives life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm going to put my energy into, is living for God because he's on the throne. And I can only serve one thing. Right? Jesus said that. You can only serve one thing. You can't have two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. So I can either serve a God who is sitting on the throne and be a part of his kingdom, or I can serve and live for the world, which one day will be judged by God and lead to death. That's it. And I don't know about you, but I want to live for the winning team. I want to live for God. I, I have this with... Um, those in our church, uh, with Jason Perales and, and Kevin and Denise Ford, they're doing the racing, right? The JP racing out at, at Berlin. And they asked if I wanted to support them and have an emblem on the side of their car. And my first question was, well, are you gonna win? Because, right? I don't want an Orchard Hill sticker coming across last every week. I wanna win. Well, now they're winning. And now they told me my sticker's gonna cost a lot more if I wanna put it on their car. But I want to win. And I want to give my life to what I want. We all want to be a part of that. We don't want to, you know, we, want, we don't want to set sail on the Titanic. We just don't. We want to be a part of the winning. And God calls us. He says, here's my kingdom. I am in charge. I rule. I give life. Will you come be a part of this? this is, so, so while I live in this trouble, right now, today, I live as I'm living in that kingdom that's through the door. Today, right now, I live. That's how God calls us. Yeah, you're on this earth. You're in the world, he says, but not of it. You're in this world, and while I'm here, I'm going to be, what does he call us to be? He calls us to be light. 
So while I'm here, world in trouble, chaos, sin around me, I'm going to stand here in this world, living for this kingdom here that wins, and I'm going to stand for light and truth and holiness and righteousness, and I am going to be an ambassador for that kingdom, right? Because it's not time for me to live in this kingdom now, but I am here on this earth being an ambassador for this kingdom, saying, there's a great place that's waiting for us. God is on the throne. His righteousness rules. Holiness is the way. It gives life. Chaos is going to lose. We're going to be victorious. Let me tell you about it. You too can be a part of this kingdom. You can be there through Jesus Christ. And so we're ambassadors and we're that light. And then we're that salt. Yeah, the rest of the world is moving this way. The rest of the world is giving things over to sin. The rest of the world is giving things over to evil. But we stand and as salt, we preserve what's good about the kingdom of God. And our lives look different. And our homes look different. And the way that we live in this world looks different. Why? Because I'm an ambassador. Because I am here preserving the ways of God. And sadly, I just how quickly the church has abandoned that role and many times we look just more like the world than we do like the kingdom of god how many of us has quickly given in to the the gender revolution that's sweeping us up and saying be like this or else you're 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 not you're unloving that's not true in any way but we've swallowed it and think okay this is that's not how god made us that's not how god designed us i'm not going to be a part of that how quickly after COVID, we just abandoned gathering with God's people to come and, come and worship. We just, eh, I got other things to do. And there are so many ways that we have just fallen away from the very kingdom of God. We are to seek first. Seek, go after first. The number one thing you do, the kingdom of God. Why? Because in the end, that's what prevails. I'm a person of passion. And I'm also a person of, of praise. Isn't that where this whole passage led? To praise. We peek through the door, and what do we see? There is a whole lot of praise going on, right? This, is, this was uh, sixth grade, Bobby Carroll's worst nightmare. You mean all we're going to do when we get to heaven is we just got to sing to God? <laughs> That's it? That's what heaven's going to be? I think it's going to be much more than that. But we see an identifying feature here is we see the four creatures who represent the, the greatest that humanity that we could even think of. They are bowing and praising God. They're worshiping God. We see the elders who are victorious, but they're sitting on their throne. But what do they do? They get off their throne and they lay their crowns before the one God Almighty. And they worship God. This whole passage is about worshiping god holy holy is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come you see this is not a one a one-time deal that god sits on the throne it's not like the roman empire that was here today and gone tomorrow the babylonian empire here today and gone tomorrow uh the uh you know the ussr that was here today and gone tomorrow and probably the united states that one day will be here and gone tomorrow, but it will be like God who, who was and is and is to come. God's kingdom reigns forever. And so we bow and we worship him. And they're, they're, they're falling down before him because they say, you are worthy. 
our Lord and God to receive? Okay? That's a question, that, that's a question we have to answer. And we answer that by being here this morning. We answer that by how we live our lives during the week. Is God worthy to receive from you your time, your, your financial resources, your gifts, your songs of praise? Is God worth it? That's what we, that's what we decide. That's what's behind worship. Is he worth it? Or are we declaring that other things are, are worth it? You know what? The partying that I had last night was worth it because that was better, God, because I, I, you know, I won't have time to make it Sunday morning. The shopping that I have to do on this Sunday morning, the fun that I want to go have on this day, the extra hour of sleep that I want to have, God. There, there's so many ways. I don't have time today, God, to get into your word and pray and spend time with you because I got these other activities and I got to get to my job and I got to make money. There are so many ways that we say this is worth it, God, instead of you. But if I really believe that God is on the throne, that I believe that God's kingdom reigns, that I believe that God is the one who is in charge and he's worth it because I owe my whole life to him because the only reason that I'm there is not because of anything that I've done, right? It's because of what Jesus did for me that allowed me, a sinful person, to put on the nature of Jesus Christ so I can sit before a holy God it was all because of God's mercy, all because of his love. What was fair? That I got his judgment. But what did he do? He reached out in love and saved me. And then I say, God, you're worth it. You're worthy of my worship. And we are called to praise him in that way. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise his sanctuary. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I believe that includes you and me. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. This should be our, our heartbeat. And do you realize, as I said, how these things are intertwined, that our worship this morning intertwines with the worship that's going on behind this door. That when we come together and lift up our hearts in praise to God, we join this scene in praising God. Is your, is your worship just as passionate as this? Just as passionate as this? They fell on their face before God because they said he's worth it to receive glory, honor, and power because all things in him have their being. We become people who pray. We become people who are filled with peace. We become with people who are passionate for the kingdom and we praise our God. Why? Because we've had a revelation. We've seen what's behind this door. And what we've seen behind the door is supposed to impact our life today. That's why God gave it. That's why God gave a revelation. He knew his church was going to go through some hard times. He knew his church was going to go through difficulties he said, I want you to see something. So when you get to that brink and you decide, yeah, the troubled world is going to win, uh, evil's going to win, I want you to see something. I want you to see this. And I want you to keep pressing on. 
and keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of your faith, and continue to run this race, in Paul's analogy, run this race to the very end with everything you got. What we see behind this door is to impact our lives each and every day. And I hope moving forward it will give you an incredible amount of hope in this troubled world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this revelation of John so long ago that you loved us, that you knew maybe that we were fragile, that you knew that we were people whose faith would maybe uh, sometimes be stretched to the thinnest. And you said, I'm going to encourage my people. I'm going to encourage my people and give them a glimpse of what they need to see so that they can press on. So God, thank you for this side of the finish line. And help us now to continue to be able to live our lives moving forward in hope. When we see this troubled world around us, God, may we not despair, may we not cave in, but may we continue to live as salt and light with our heads held high, living for you and in worship of you, because you alone are worthy of all our praise. And God, we ask that not just on a, on a Sunday morning, but that each and every day that we would put you on the throne and we would declare that you are worthy. You are worthy to receive our praise. Thank you, God, for being king. And we lift up your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If anybody in the Bible had a rough time of life, it was a man named Job.